Mysterious and thrilling things happen in the days of the early church. Philip, one of the men appointed along with Stephen to care for the needy widows in Jerusalem, is forced out of the city. As so often happens, after the appointment, God has other plans. Philip is called to preach the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch, a servant of his queen, who is returning home after worshiping God in Jerusalem. He just happens to be reading Isaiah 53 out loud on his journey when Philip asks if he knows what he is reading. Philip has the privilege of leading the man to Christ and baptizes him right on the spot. Philip goes down in history as Philip the Evangelist. And this Ethiopian takes the gospel with him back to Ethiopia. Ethiopia becomes the first country to adopt Christianity as its national religion. Well, here we are uh, on our 15th message in the book of Acts. And I want to show you... Uh, um, this slide again. I, I want to I get this image etched in your head. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been given to the believers who were waiting in the upper room just as the Lord had commanded. Remember, they were told, don't do anything, don't go anywhere, don't say anything, go wait in the upper room for the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is this this morning, before we go any further, why, why did they need the Holy Spirit? Why was the Holy Spirit given? Well, I could take my, the rest of the service just talking about that this morning, but let me just uh, tell you a few reasons why it is essential that we have the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to clarify something really quickly because some people are not, not sure about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but if you, be, if you are truly converted, if you're born again, uh, if you put your faith in Christ, if you're truly a Christian, then the Bible tells us, you read Ephesians, if you want, Ephesians chapter 1 specifically, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. So he comes to indwell us, making us a new creation. Why else do we need the Holy Spirit? Well, Romans 8 tells us that uh, we need to be spirit-controlled because those who are controlled by the sinful nature... Uh, aren't, in fact, not Christians. And so you need to be spirit-controlled. And in that way, Romans 8 tells us that you will overcome sin. Anybody here struggle with sin? Nobody's put up their hand. There's two of us. Hey, look at You're not sure, are you, what to say or what to do here. But the fact is, is that there is in all of us what we call indwelling sin. This is, this is a problem in all of us. But the good news is God is not finished with us. We are a work in progress, and he is, he is renewing us, refreshing us, and making us like Jesus. But this is only possible if the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that's the good news. The Holy Spirit dwells in you and enabling you to overcome sin. Well, the other thing that we learned uh, not that long ago is we learned about the fruit of the Spirit, you and I cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit unless, in fact, the Spirit dwells in us. That's why we call it the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of Alan. Right? 
It's not the fruit of Ben. It's the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't produce that on your own. You can't, you can't do that. Not unless you're born again, unless the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Uh, what else? Well, Jesus reminds us that the Holy Spirit's job will be to glorify Christ and because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing you to Jesus. He's pointing you to the teachings of Christ, to the life of Christ, to the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. This happens because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is, is the comforter. Sometimes we call him the comforter. We, that comes from the word paraclete, the one who is alongside us. He, he comforts us, he helps us, he strengthens us. And most important of all, well, maybe I shouldn't say most important of all, but certainly most important to our conversation today, is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Now, you'll remember that Jesus said, you will receive power. That's why he said you have to wait in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll notice that I have highlighted to the ends of the earth, because, because today we're talking about how the gospel goes to the country of Ethiopia. So, in this word power, I've capitalized it for you. It's the word dunamis. It's, it's, uh, it, that Greek word is where we get the word dynamite from. Uh, some of you may know that Alfred Nobel, is it, as in the Nobel Peace Prize, those prizes, uh, Nobel took all of his wealth and he, uh, and he wanted to establish these uh, world-class prizes. Well, where did he make his money? He made it from his discovery I say discovery of dynamite, but in fact, the Chinese discovered it uh, centuries before. But he's the one that really brought it uh, to the to the forefront, and uh, and he monopolized or he uh, he monetized it, and he made a lot of money off that. Well, he wanted a word for his new discovery, and he asked his friend, "What is the Greek word for power?" And his friend said, "Well, it's the word dunamis." He says, "Well, that's exactly the word I want to use for my invention." He calls it dynamite. Now, I want you to see something here today. You'll, 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 if you know the passage and if you remember the message, you'll notice or remember that the disciples kept asking Jesus, are you going to establish your kingdom now? Is this, is this the time now? Right? Now that, now that you have been resurrected from the dead and, and now that you've got this amazing power at your disposal, uh, is this the time? Is this the time now that we're going we're gonna to see your kingdom established? And uh, Jesus said, no, not yet. You see, they still didn't get it. <laughs> they, kept that, they kept thinking that all the time that Jesus was teaching and preaching. Those three years that they were with him, it, it, Jesus, when you, when you start your kingdom, make sure I'm the one that's on your left hand and my brother should be, oh, I want to be on the right hand and my brother will be on the left hand and, and uh, we're going to have an amazing political system, amazing political power. And they just couldn't get what Jesus was trying to teach them. Well, they asked him one more time, and, uh, and, and finally they get it. They finally understand that this power is not about political power. That's not what it's about. 
And so any kind of Christianity, anything that calls itself Christianity, that's talking about political power or is pushing a political power agenda is not true Christianity. You need to understand that. And one of the big mistakes we make here in, in North America is we tie our Christianity to politics. It's a big mistake. This is not, this is not what this power is about. It's about a supernatural power or a spiritual power, a power to change you, a power to transform you. I remember very clearly when my, when my father became a Christian, how he was transformed. He literally became a different person. It blew my mind. It was, it was joy and happiness in our home. It was absolutely wonderful. My dad stopped thinking about himself. He, stopped, he quit drinking. He quit smoking. Started taking us to church every Sunday. Next thing you know, he's starting a company. And next thing you know, we're, we're, we've got money. We're able to go for dinner. We're able to go out for lunch. It's a, it was amazing things. We got new clothes. Life changed. My dad was transformed. That's the power we're talking about. The power to transform us, to change us. And you may be sitting here today thinking, man, I need that kind of power because I don't like the way my life is. I don't like where I'm at. I need to be changed. Well, the good news, my friends, is that the gospel proclaims a power that can change you, and the change happens from the inside out. That's the gospel. This is what Jesus does by his spirit. And so this this transformation takes place within us, but folks, wait, there's more. It's not just an internal transformation. Folks, what you need to understand is that Jesus Christ empowers us then to go and be his witnesses, to tell other people about what Jesus has done for us. Has Jesus done anything for you? Have you been transformed? Folks, I became a Christian at a very young age, and I can tell you, I was very aware of the change that happened in my life. I, I wept, in fact. I, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed God. I knew I needed his forgiveness. And that moment that I put my faith in Christ, I knew that I was changed. Folks, that's the power of Almighty God. Now, I want you to see something. In the book of Acts, you'll see that phrase, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll see it more than once. In fact, you'll see it at least 14 times. And here's what you're going to discover. Every time you see that phrase, or almost every time that you see the phrase, filled with the Spirit, you'll see that connected with that, with that infilling of the Holy Spirit was an enabling or an empowering to go and testify about Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you something. You may not know this, but this is, in fact, a Pentecostal church. And if you look at the roots of, of the Pentecostal movement, I, I can't say it's the same today. It's a different movement now. But if you look at the early days of the Pentecostal movement, what you'll find is that people were filled with the Spirit, and then they went and they preached. They went and told people about Jesus Christ. They went and shared the gospel because that is what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. We are empowered to share the gospel. And it's for that reason that the Pentecostal movement of the last hundred or so years is the fastest growing movement because people were committed to declaring or testifying about Jesus Christ. Now, 
I wish I could say that that was the case today, but uh, Pentecostals uh, in most places of the world have lost their way, and they're focusing on other things, which I will not get into today. But I want you to, to look at this picture. It's, uh, it's, I've actually had to crop it so I, I could get a close-up of Philip and the Ethiopian. In fact, it's called the Ethiopian eunuch. I'll tell you what that's about in just a moment. And then beside Philip is a servant holding uh, the scripture of Isaiah. Well, this uh, painting by Rembrandt from 1626 is, is of Philip, who you'll see in just a moment, uh, has been led by the Holy Spirit to go and share with this man the message of Jesus Christ, and it's from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 53. And I should just point out that that should be a scroll. Rembrandt, imagine Alan Denkaff correcting Rembrandt. <laughs> but it should be a scroll because they didn't have books and binding in those days. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at Philip. Now, Philip here is, is he's baptizing um, the eunuch. And we don't know the eunuch's name. That's why I'm calling him the eunuch. Don't, don't mean to be rude or anything, but we don't know his name. But uh, I want you to take your Bibles and, uh, and follow with me in Romans chapter 8, I mean Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 28. And it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is a book, a very large book in the Old Testament. Some people call Isaiah the gospel of the Old Testament, and you'll see why shortly. We don't know uh, his name, but we know actually quite a bit about him, as it turns out. For instance, we know that he is a convert to Judaism. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, that, that there are many people from all over the world that converted to Judaism. They are looking for the true God, and that is probably why and I, I, think, I think we could say with almost absolute certainty that that is why the Ethiopian is there in, in Jerusalem. Remember, we just celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. That was a, a feast that all Jewish people needed to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. At least all the men had to do that. And so that's why he's there. And uh, we know that, uh, that that's why he's got a scroll of Isaiah, because he's He's a Jewish convert, a convert to Judaism. What else do we know? Well, we know he's wealthy. There's no way that he could travel all the way from Ethiopia to Israel, to Jerusalem, unless he had considerable wealth. And what's more, the fact that he owned a scroll, nobody owns a scroll unless you are a king or a very wealthy person indeed. This whole thing, by the way, is all copied out by hand. There's no printing presses. So we know this guy's got considerable wealth. We know he's a eunuch. And uh, I don't know, do I need to explain what a eunuch is? I'll, I'll explain it anyway. Uh, a eunuch is a man who's been castrated 
And uh, the reason he's being castrated is because he works for the queen, and we don't want any accidents, or uh, <laughs> we don't want anything to happen, and we want the queen to feel absolutely safe. And what's more, because he's working for the queen, taking care of her treasure, he's interacting with her all the time, so he is a eunuch. And, and the interesting thing, folks, uh, is, you know, men nowadays are like, oh, you know, we don't, we just think kind of, uh, he's kind of maybe a little subhuman here. But in fact, to be a eunuch in those days was considered a high office, uh, especially if you're working for a queen. The other thing we know about this man is that he's spiritually hungry. And he wants to know the truth. He wants to know God. God has put that hunger and that thirst in his heart. And this morning, there may be people here who are hungry and thirsty to know the truth. You're like that Ethiopian eunuch. You want to know the truth. Well, that's what we find here. This eunuch is hungry. He wants to know the truth. So let's take a look at the next few verses. It says, and the Spirit said to the Spirit-filled Philip. I added that. That's not in your Bible. But I want you to to understand who Philip is. He is Spirit-filled. He is converted. He is a follower of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit says to Spirit-filled Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him there in the chariot. So what's going on here? How does Philip, a Greek, and Philip, by the way, in case you don't remember, he is considered one of the seven Remember, we read about this in Acts chapter 6. There is, there is a, a dispute between the Hellenistic Jewish widows, or uh, Hellenistic widows and the Jewish widows. And he was one of the seven that was appointed by the apostles to distribute food to these widows. Well, that's, that's the Philip we're talking about. So how does this Greek Philip meet up with his Ethiopian eunuch? Well, that's a really good question. And the answer, very simply, is that this is no coincidence. This is the choreography of the Holy Spirit. That's a good word, isn't it? What does that mean, the choreography of the Holy Spirit? What it means is that the Holy Spirit is the one who has orchestrated all this. He has brought it all together. He's put all the pieces together so that Philip is in the right place at the right time at just the moment that the Ethiopian is reading from Isaiah 53. How many see God's hand at work here? Hey, I've been in the ministry now for 40 years. I have, he- I have heard hundreds and hundreds of stories of people who talk about the coincidence of, of hearing about Jesus. And if you're a Christian today, you understand that God is sovereign and there are no coincidences where God's purposes are concerned. So what is God's purpose? Well, Jesus tells us that God's purpose is to send us a Savior. John 3.16, you see it at the hockey game, you'll see it at football matches, you'll see it just about everywhere. People hold up the sign, John 3.16, it's on people's shirts, it's, it's everywhere. A lot of people don't know what it means, but they got, this, they got the reference up. What, what does it say? Jesus says, for God, God the Father... 
so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have what? Everlasting life. And Jesus himself says about himself, you want to know why he came to this earth? You want to know why I was born in a manger? You want to know why I came and, and preached for three years? Do you want to know why I died on the cross and was resurrected? Jesus said, I'll tell you. We read in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Folks, before you're born again, before you're converted, before you become a Christian, God says you're lost. And by the way, you don't go looking for God. God comes looking for you. God finds you. That's why he sent his son. And that's why later on, after Jesus left this earth, he sent the Holy Spirit to continue the work. And so we see the Holy Spirit is actually using the Spirit-filled Philip as God's own instrument to preach the gospel to this sinner from Ethiopia. Folks, do you understand today that you are a sinner? You are a sinner. You have fallen short. What do I mean by that? I know some churches, they've, they have prohibited the use of the word sinner because that might offend people. <laughs> Look at my, my job as a pastor and preacher is, is not to massage your feelings and make you feel good. When you go to the doctor, you go to see the surgeon, you're sick, you don't want them to just give you empty platitudes to make you feel good, right? You went to the doctor because what? You want them to fix you. <laughs> fix it. Don't tell me what I'm hoping to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. And so Philip comes alongside of him, and he shares with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, it is the Holy Spirit who has led this spiritually hungry man we don't know his name. We just know he's an Ethiopian. He's led by God to read Isaiah 53. And I'm going to talk more of that in just a moment. Isaiah 53 is all about, Isaiah chapter 53 is all about Jesus, and you'll see that in a moment. Here's what you need to understand. Because we believe in the sovereignty of God, we know that there are no coincidences as far as God's purposes are concerned. God is at work by his spirit bringing this man to faith in Christ. And by the way, I want you to recognize something. This is just an aside. I want you to see the, the Trinity at work in your salvation. The Father's will is that Jesus come because he loves us. Jesus came and he died for us, paid the price that our sin deserves, and then the Holy Spirit then orchestrates and choreographs the whole thing. There's the whole Trinity involved, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you're not here today by accident. You're here today because this is what God wanted. God wanted you to be here today. He wanted you to hear my sermon today. I want to tell you that God uses all sorts of people 
and all sorts of circumstances to achieve exactly what he wants to achieve. Do you understand that? It's pretty thrilling stuff. You know, for many years, until I understood the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, I thought I had to be the Holy Spirit. And it, it really wore me out. I had to go around being God to make sure, make sure I was taking care of everything and orchestrating everything and trying to get everything together. I don't do that anymore. Well, mostly I don't do that anymore. Try not to do that anymore. I try to let God be God. And I know, my friends, that God is busy at work bringing this message of his love to a broken and hurting world. What this world needs today more than anything is Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus Christ who sets people free from their guilt. You got guilt today? Sure you do. You understand what I'm talking about. Do you, do you know shame? Shame from your past, things you've done, things you're embarrassed of, things you don't want to even tell people about? Of course. You understand what I'm talking about. Guilt, shame, sorrow. And the wonderful thing is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he washes away your sin and he forgives you. And you literally become a brand new creation. There's the old Alan and the new Alan. I'm so glad that God didn't renovate me. I've been renovating my whole life. I won't renovate anything. I won't even paint a door anymore. I'm I want a new door. <laughs> There's a scratch in the door. Get it out. Get a new one in here. That's what God does. A brand, brand new you. And that happens when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. So even now, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit, if you haven't yet put your faith in Christ, if you're not yet converted, I want you to know even here right now, the Holy Spirit is inviting you to put your faith in Jesus Christ in the same way that Philip does with the eunuch. Now, I want you to see something here. Philip runs up. Here's him reading from Isaiah. And Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? I just think this is interesting because the eunuch doesn't say, well, who are you? <laughs> Where do you come from? <laughs> but he is so engrossed in what he's reading. He, he is so captivated by the word of God that he, he says, he doesn't even miss a, miss a skip here. He doesn't skip a beat here. Just, just moves. He says, well, how can I unless someone guides me, unless someone explains this to me? I, I don't get it. And then because he's so engrossed in the text, so engrossed in what he's reading, he says to Philip, come up here and sit with me. I love that. What's going on? Well, first of all, to, to the unbeliever who is here today, the one who has not yet put his faith or her faith in Jesus Christ, I want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. But I want to invite you or encourage you to do what the eunuch says. You need to invite a Christian to come and explain to you the questions that you have about Christianity, about Jesus. You need to do that. The eunuch sets a wonderful example here. Come and explain it to me. 
I have heard so many people just dismiss Christianity to the hand. I don't believe in that. There's no such thing as God. And you're saying that because you heard somebody else say that. But if you're going to be, how shall I put this? If you're going to be intellectually honest, then you need to deal with the question. Is there a God? And if there is no God, well, problem solved. But if there is a God... You better know who he is, you better know what he wants, and you better find out what happens if you don't do what he wants. Hello. This is what the eunuch, he wants, he wants clarification. He's, he's an honest man. He wants to know the truth. And folks, here's what I want you to understand. I've been serving God for many years. I've been a pastor for 40 years. I have been studying Christianity forward and backward my entire life. And I have, and you need to understand that the doctrines that we preach today have been preached for 2,000 years. Our theology has stood the test of time. We have come under attack for 2,000 years, but folks, we are as strong today as ever. Why is that? Because it's of God, because it's the truth. I hear people say, oh my, you know, I, you know this Christianity is for weak-minded people. Folks, I'm going to tell you something right now. Christianity has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. And some of the very smartest humans on the planet are devout followers of Jesus Christ. I invite you to do some research yourself. Go Google it. I recently showed some young people a site that is, that is just a list of of astrophysicists, chemists, physicists, doctors, uh, people of the highest learning who are devout Christians, and they share their story of how they became Christians and why they're Christians. I invite you to do that. So that's my message to the believer. You need to invite someone to come and, and sit with you and answer your questions. Don't just, don't just uh, write it off as being mythology. Find out why there are so many people throughout the centuries who have devoted their lives to Christ. Now, here's my message to the believer here today. So many people think that in order to be a good Christian, all they have to do is do nice things for people. Remember back in the 90s, I remember a book that came out called Dolphin Evangelism. Has anybody ever heard of Dolphin Evangelism? Dolphin Evangelism versus shark evangelism. So the shark will come in and he will, he will attack you and he will pressure you and he'll twist your arm behind your back and make you say a prayer so you become a Christian. That's not right. But then neither is dolphin evangelism either. And the, the idea with dolphin evangelism, you just be playful with people, be nice to people, give people a free can of Coke and say, God bless you, Jesus loves you. If someone gave me a Coke, I'd, I'd drink it. I don't care if you're a Buddhist, Hare Krishna. If I'm thirsty, a bottle of water will do great for me. But I'm telling you, it's not going to convert me to your religion. Hello? And some people think, well, all I have to do is put a bumper sticker on my car or have a T-shirt that says Jesus loves you. Well, you know, it might, it might touch people's hearts. But I'm going to tell you that that's not what's going to transform people. 
They'd be like, I got to put a cross on my lawn. I got to put up a, a, a shrine to Mary. I'll put that on my front lawn. Everybody will know and then become Christian. Doesn't work that way. Or, or else, uh, I remember a song that came out back, I think, in the 70s or 80s, Lord, let me be a living sermon for thee. Well, Paul does say that we, need, that we are uh, living epistles, living letters from God. But I'm going to tell you people that people don't come to Christ just because you're living and acting like or talking like a Christian. Some people think all you have to do is post religious stuff on Facebook or on, on Instagram. I've got to post my religious stuff. But here's, what, here's the thing that you need to understand. People don't understand, and that's what he's saying here. How can I understand unless someone guides me? You need to tell people, explain to people how people understand who Jesus is and why he came to this earth. And what does his resurrection mean? What does that mean? And so we find Paul saying to the believers in Rome, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So folks, no matter how you, how you come at this, there's only one way that people are going to come to faith in Christ, and that is you have to tell them. You have to tell your children. You have to tell your grandchildren. You have to tell your neighbor. You have to tell your friends. You've got to tell the people in your life. They need to hear about Christ. Remember what Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. You are a witness of Christ. You have received the Holy Spirit so that you can tell people about Jesus Christ. And folks, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you into all that you need to say. Because I know some of you are terrified of telling people about Jesus. You don't need to. The Holy Spirit's going to guide you exactly the way that God guided Philip in sharing the good news. Now, watch this. This is what the eunuch is reading. He's reading uh, from Isaiah 53, verses 7 to 8, and we find it. We find it uh, in Acts 8, 32 and 33. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a, as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated. He received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Folks, you will find... Jesus fulfilling this prophecy in all four of the Gospels. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 27. You can read about it in Mark chapter 15, in Luke 23, and John 19. Every one of the Gospels shows how Jesus fulfills this prophecy from Isaiah. This is what the eunuch is reading. Led like a sheep to the slaughter. That's Jesus on the Via Della Rosa, Simon of Cyrene, was there helping Jesus carry the cross. He was silent before the shearers. This is what happened when Jesus stood before Pilate and Herod. He refused to open his mouth. He's not saying anything. What's he going to say? Jesus knows that it's God's will that he dies for, for sinners, and so he keeps his mouth shut. He's humiliated. He's stripped naked. He's mocked. A crown of thorns is placed on his head. 
He received no justice. Look at this. Pilate actually, Pilate, by the way, is the governor of, of Judea at that time, and he actually declares Jesus innocent. He says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Even his wife had a dream. Pilate's wife warned Pilate, don't, don't have anything to do with this man because he's innocent. He received no justice. His life was taken. And of course, you know, he paid the price for our sin with his own life. Watch what happens next. The eunuch asked Philip, well, tell me, was the prophet talking about, about himself or about someone else? So the, the eunuch still doesn't quite get it. He wants to know, is Isaiah talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the gospel about Jesus. I want you to know something today. The whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, everything points to Jesus. From Genesis chapter 1 right to the very end. In fact, in the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1, some of you will remember that. We find Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. In the very, right in the dead center of the first verse of the Bible is the Alpha and the Omega. Jewish scholars have no, reason, have no idea what it's there for, but we know because Jesus calls him what? Him, Jesus calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. So rare, there it is in the scripture. And so what's the gospel, you ask? Get your phones ready. Take a picture of this. Here's the gospel. You're a sinner. You're in desperate need of the Savior. Everyone said? Amen. The second death is coming. We call it the judgment. It awaits the sinner. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a sinner today. But the good news is that God's love has sent us the Savior to die in our place. And he was resurrected from the dead, guaranteeing eternal life. Number four, eternal life is for all who repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. I just finished telling you, John 3, 16. And after you're justified, that is made right with God, God starts sanctifying you. He starts transforming you. He starts making you like his son. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Folks, what you also need to understand, and here's where our church makes a sharp, a sharp uh, uh, divergence from, from other churches. While other churches are trying to make you feel good, trying to build you up, trying to comfort you, encourage you, tell you you're wonderful, you're a wonderful person, and, and God loves you no matter what. You can live like hell. You can do whatever you want. God loves you no matter what. Our church tells you something else. Our church tells you that you need to die to yourself. Actually, it's not, it's not our church. It's Jesus himself who said that. If anyone would, would come after me, he must deny himself. He must die to himself and he needs to become like Jesus and do the will of God. And then finally, when you die, you will be glorified. That is, you will be made like Jesus, free of sin, and you will go to heaven. That's the gospel. This, my friends, is what Philip would have explained to this eunuch. And, of course, now the eunuch has heard this. And he says, you know what? I like it. I like what I'm hearing. And he says, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put my faith in this Jesus you're talking about. I'm going to die to myself. And folks, the first step of dying to yourself is this. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Philip said, yeah, why not? 
And so he ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. Dying to yourself. Do you know that your baptism is symbolic of you dying to yourself when you come up out of that water a brand new person? And by the way, baptized means baptizo, to, to, to be fully immersed, and you come up, out of, come up from the dead a brand new creation. That's, that's what baptism is all about. And so that's what, that's what Philip does. He baptizes them right on the spot. If you have put your faith in Christ today and you haven't been baptized, it's time for you to get baptized. I want you to call the church, 204-632-7322, or email the church, info at crosschurch.ca, and say, you know what? I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to get baptized. And I would be delighted to baptize you. Not in this suit, (laughs) but I'd be delighted to baptize you. It's time. You put your faith in Christ. The eunuch understands it. I need, to be, I need to die, and I need to rise again to new life. Now, if you look at that, you'll, I'm almost done here. If you look at this verse, you'll see verse 36 and verse 38. What's missing? Verse 37. <laughs> Pastor Allen, are you trying to trick us? No. Actually, uh, some, some of the earlier manuscripts do not include verse 37. And here's what, it's, here's what verse 37 says. Uh, when he asks, why can't I be baptized? And Philip says, you can, if you believe with all your heart. And eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's not wrong. It just wasn't in the earlier manuscripts. And so what we want to do is we want to stay faithful to the earliest and most reliable manuscripts of the New Testament. What happens to these men? What happens to these men? Well, we read in Acts chapter 8, verses 39 to 40. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Don't exactly know what that means, but disappears. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus, and he preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Well, Caesarea is where Philip settles. And he surfaces again in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 to 9. And by this time, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. Why? Because he's going around telling people about Jesus. Why is he going around telling people, people about Jesus? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he hosts Paul and Luke and the team in his home in Caesarea. And Caesarea becomes a gospel center, and there's Philip preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. By the way, can I just say this? If your church, I'll say this to the people online, if your church is not preaching the gospel, it's not advancing the gospel message, and I have to ask the question, what is the point of your church? This is the call, to preach the gospel, to tell people what Jesus Christ has called you to live. Now, The eunuch, we know what happened to Philip, the eunuch took the gospel with him back to Ethiopia, and as you heard in the bumper video, Ethiopia became the very first country to declare that Christianity was its state religion, and that happened in 330 A.D. God now, my friends, is bringing the nations to us. I just want to close with this. I have a a dear friend, Andy Papadopoulos. He came to Winnipeg, I think back in the 70s. Andy 
was not a, not a Christian, not a believer. But while he was in Winnipeg, I, I'll make a very long story just long. <laughs> he came to faith in Christ at Calvary Temple. And he was, he was so transformed that he wanted immediately to go back to Greece leaving behind the wealth of Canada to go back to Greece so that he could tell his people about Jesus Christ. And he got there, and before long, a church was started. He had a, a beautiful group of new converts, all these people who had come to Christ. He started publishing a paper called, it was like a, like a quarterly um, magazine called Zontini Martyria, which is the, 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 living, the living witnesses of what it was called. Witnessing about Jesus Christ. And I still remember the logo. It was the hand of Christ at the cross with a nail through it. That was his passion. That He was born again, transformed. He needed to tell people about Jesus Christ. He still calls me. He calls me about once, once a week, sometimes twice a week, if I'm lucky. And, uh, and he evangelism is, is on his lips constantly. He wants to tell people about Jesus Christ. Folks, the mark of the believer is that he or she is concerned about sharing the gospel with others. I'd like to ask you to stand with me, please. We're gonna pray right now that God would do a work by his spirit in our church Father, we thank you this morning for this glorious gospel message. We see how you used Philip to bring the gospel to this hungry man, this man who is looking for truth, looking for God. Help us to see God. There's people around us in our own family, maybe in our, in our own home, that are looking for the truth. People are waiting for us to share what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, we're so busy worried about what to say, but all we have to do is tell people what Jesus has done for us and then wait for the Holy Spirit to show us what else to say. Father, we thank you today for the people who came to us and shared the gospel with us that were faithful in proclaiming Christ. Father, we pray now that you would take and use the people of Cross Church to go and disseminate this message, to bring this message of the good news of Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. And if there's any here today, Lord, anybody listening to us online who has not yet put their faith in Christ, Lord, let this be the day where they say, it's time. I want to be baptized. I want my life to belong to God. I want to die to myself. I want new life in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Folks, tell the person beside you, look to Jesus. <laughs>